Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to Spiritual Insights. We have a, another wonderful segment for you today as Carol Howe joins us once again to discuss the sixth installment in her 8 DVD series, See How Life Works, and today we'll be discussing See How Healing Works. So if, you, if you're not familiar with Carol, she is one of the first course students earliest course teachers and biographer of Bill Thetford, co-scribe of the course. Her teachings are grounded in science and research with decades of teaching and counseling experience. She's a world-renowned expert who will guide you in applying this material to all of your life circumstances. Carol, it is so great to have you back with us. How are you? I'm just wonderful, and I'm delighted to be back, and you'll be happy to know that somebody posted on my Facebook page that how glad she was this was happening because you're such a great hostess. So I thought you should know that. <laughs> well, that warms my heart to hear. Thank you so much. I'm blushing. Wow. Well, that's nice, and we do have a good time, don't we? Absolutely. Well, well, I figure that if you don't have a good time in the process of heading toward the experience of joy, there's something gone wrong. <laughs> so we do have fun in these DVDs, as you found out. I presume you've watched the sixth one. <laughs> Absolutely, and and it ties in succinctly with what you said. When, when you're not having fun, I would consider that as well a form of resistance. Well, absolutely, because one is taking oneself a little too seriously. It's so easy for us to take ourselves too seriously, so learning not to do that is a, is a great step along the way, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I remember when I got to that step and you spoke in the DVD, I have oh, maybe eight pages of notes, um, about observing your thoughts and, and observing the ego mind. And the note that I, set, that I wrote myself is that it really helps you laugh at yourself. And you can sit and say, okay, I'm having a thought. But as long as you don't invest in that thought to the point of self-identification, the thought can continue to pass by. And you Absolutely. And so the DVD is fantastic. Um, Did you think I, it was funny when our ego mind walked in the door? <laughs> it was so funny. The description I wrote was, you know, the way you teach has such a flair, and it's so it's calming to the listener and the the viewer because your style you use metaphor, analogies, humor, um, concise explanations, and this is what makes it so digestible. Because some hard topics are going to come up. 
and of course with the use of props such as the prison, which was beautiful, and and the people who rep- represented the ego mind, um, we were both laughing. My husband was watching it with me, and um, it was hilarious. Um, and and your laugh is lyrical. So, but going back to the beginning. Um, you had started out with, you know, our perception of the world and how we perceive separateness and attack and violence to the self. So I want people to understand when we're talking about healing, we're not only just talking about physical healing with uh, physical illness being a reflection of something in the mind that causes it, which you definitely go into, um, but healing of the mind, healing of the emotional bodies and the, the unity that we're striving for. Um, Absolutely. Everything needs to be healed. And, and of course, it says if we could just stop attacking ourselves, and a lot of us don't really know how we're attacking ourselves. In other words, we think, well, I'm not hurting my neighbor, and I'm not, in other words, there's not an overt um, experience of attack. And the Course says, well, rather than saying that I'm not attacking myself, one would better ask, well, then how am I attacking myself? Because we, we attack ourselves unknowingly and unwittingly, and that keeps us in an unhealed and, you might say, a sleep state. So I think it's really important for people to know that, that we are actually constantly doing violence to ourselves, and then we wonder why life doesn't work out very well. But since what's happening internally is always faithfully reflected externally, we sure do need to ask ourselves some different questions. Absolutely. And the Course goes deeply into defining attack thoughts and how even holding a grudge is an attack on yourself. It keeps you in the prison that you so beautifully illustrate in the DVD. And Absolutely. All the things that we just think, well, you know, I'm just privately not liking this. I'm not telling anybody. I'm not taking any action about it. I just don't like my neighbor's dog, <laughs> whatever it may yeah. be. Or I don't like that group of people. Or I, I don't like that I'm living in some place where it's so cold. It doesn't matter what it is. And it doesn't matter if I never speak it or, as I say, I never take action quote, against another person, the fact that I am being resistant to some experience that I'm having is an attack upon myself. Absolutely. Always. And I made this note, we become excellent actresses, because this is something I've said for years. Um, Before I found the course, I had a very traumatic life, but you couldn't tell by my face. I am stoic, and you couldn't tell when I was upset or angry because I was so controlled in my face and my mannerisms. So I could observe and endure the experience and then as, and get away from it as soon as possible. But I became an excellent actress. And many people do this. And I'm reminded of a story, and I'd like to share that quickly if I may. Okay. About attacking others. It, we, can, we can attack ourselves by holding onto grudges and resisting and not accepting where we are, who we are. Any, any level of acceptance. In 2009, I had to, I had to um, leave Florida and go to Philadelphia. My mother was dying. So I had to go in and say my goodbyes. In that experience, I was staying at my brother's home, and he had a young dog, not quite a puppy, but maybe not less than a year old. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I missed my students so much. 
And, and, and of course, the course had helped me to go through the experience of my mother's death with so much grace. It was unbelievable, and I would wish it on everybody. Um, and I hope that everybody does get to that point. However, in the house, the dog decides to get up onto the couch, look into the mirror, the very large mirror over the back of the couch, and it's barking at itself. And I got to enjoy this for like a full five minutes, and I started taking notes and emailed homework <laughs> back to my class. And I got to demonstrate when I got back, when we attack others, you're basically attacking yourself. Look at life as if you're going around with a mirror in your hand. And what you project, what you project is what you get back, and what you extend is what you strengthen and fortify. And I'll hand that over to you. I just wanted to share my dog barking in the mirror as a beautiful illustration of the chapter I was trying to explain at the time. That is just exactly perfectly right, and I think mirror analogies are just about as good as they get because yeah. we can so see the impossibility of looking at ourselves in the mirror, and let's say we've got on our blue shirt, and you look in the mirror and you think, I don't like that blue shirt at all. I, I wish I had on a red dress. And nobody in their right mind would attack the mirror and try to make the image in the mirror be having on a blue shirt or well, red dress, whatever it is mm-hmm. I want to change to. And nobody would hate the mirror <laughs> because it's got something in it I don't like. And if I had a third party looking at both, say, myself and the reflection in the mirror, they would certainly note that these two things they were seeing would be exactly the same. In other words, if they looked at me, they looked at the image in the mirror, exact, exact, with one major exception, and that is the image in the mirror doesn't make the first move. I have Mm. to make the first move. Yes. And so if I can see that I have to make an internal shift first, before there can be meaningful external shifts in my, shall we say, my external life, my emotional life, my all the other aspects of my life. It's like I have to do the internal healing first. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to speak to something that you said earlier because I think it's so important where you said I learned to be a great actress and I learned to be very stoic and I learned to try to make my body language and facial expressions be just what they should be. I had the to communi- survive. Yeah. The, the communications experts, and I am not one of those, but I have read the statistics that say about 7% of what we communicate to other people is verbal. And then there's another percentage, and I can't tell you what it is, but it's, not, it's larger than 7, but just not huge. And that percentage is body language, tone of voice, uh, facial expressions, and expressions. so on. Mm-hmm. But the bulk of it is just simply our energy field, <laughs> and mm-hmm. there's no way you can hide it or dress it up or make it go away or anything else. So in in one way, although I can try to control what my face is doing, it's as if I've got a television set on the top of my head broadcasting everything that's going on with me, and you think, darn, I've been trying so hard to hide these things in myself, and they aren't hidden at all. And it's just an awful recognition for people when you realize, oh, my gosh, not only are my defenses not working, but it's really obvious that I'm employing my defenses. And you think, oh, I was at least hoping they would be hidden. (laughs) You know, it's like it's not funny when you're going through it, but once you've been on the other side of it, the whole thing is really quite comical. It is. It really is. And I made a note 
um, as you were speaking and um, very profound as the Course touches upon time and time and time again about recognizing the innocence of others and as, as we recognize the innocence of ourselves. I wrote this down, recognize the innocence of the mirror. Like you said, we would not attack the mirror. We would not smash it. Out of self-preservation, we don't want to get cut by the glass. But exactly. But on some level, we recognize I can't blame the mirror. So if we look around right. us at our families and partners and coworkers and children and neighbors, we can't blame the mirror. We can only rearrange what's in us and release and let go of what isn't serving us but is in fact attracting and summoning whatever experience or behavior you're observing. You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's of course absolutely correct. And so I have to share with you what I was sitting doing something, I don't know, maybe earlier in the year, January or February, and uh-huh. all of a sudden this thought came into my mind because I'm always looking for, um, for those analogies and metaphors to help people see what's going on. So... Um, the idea of, because it's hard for people to see, to get the idea that when I'm healed, I'm not healed alone. You think, how is that? I'm here, they're there. What does my healing have to do with them? What does their have, healing have to do with me? Well, if you look at us as separate beings, well, of course, the, the, none of that would make any sense. But that hypothesis that we're unrelated is a false hypothesis. So I thought, how can I make this make more sense? So all of a sudden, I got the the image of a jukebox. You know, the old-fashioned kind of jukeboxes that younger listeners may never have heard of or seen, but they used to have jukeboxes, and sometimes they were little, little, very small, and they were on the table, and you put in your money, and you made the selection, and there was a whole row of records in there, and they would it would pull up a record, put it on a turntable, and it would play. Mm-hmm. So... People, let's say I am engaging with my fellow man, it's as if every person has an entire range, and we're going to call them like a whole bunch of records, an entire range of ways they can respond to me. And I select how they're going to respond to me by what's going on with me. In other words, people could respond from a very hateful, dark place, and then across a whole range of options up to a very loving, compassionate, open-hearted space. And so you might say, how, how is it that I pull out that particular response from the other person? Because we do. And if I, for instance, am feeling like I want to see my own innocence, and I want to see theirs, and I want to see that we've engaged in a lot of foolishness, but no harm has been done, that if that's what I want, I communicate through all of those both physical and primarily non-physical ways that I'm here for that person. I want their lives to work. And And whether they even like it or not, they're going to come forward with, a response that's closer to the loving end of the spectrum, shall we say. Mm-hmm. But if I'm being hateful to myself, if I'm putting myself down, if I'm thinking I'm no good and unworthy and so on and so forth, unwittingly, I'm going to call forward a much less enlightened response from that person. And you know what? I do both myself and that person a disservice. 
when I pull out, shall we say, the worst in them rather than the best. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think it's about the most important thing we can get is that there is an automatic process there. And and people respond, and they don't even know why or how they're responding. I'll give you an example. Uh-huh. My filming partner and I were at a Christmas party for the, a company. He works for it, and I consult with them because the owner is a very good friend of mine. In fact, she's one of the class members in our DVD series. Uh-huh. So we were at the Christmas party at a big botanical gardens place here in Orlando, And those who were attending a party and held in one of their rooms could go into the botanical gardens ahead of time for free instead of paying and all that. So Mm -hmm. we were a little bit late getting there. So we started to walk into the gardens, and and somebody drives up on one of those little golf cart things and says, not in any sort of a a mean way or anything like that, but just in in a serious way, that it would be closing in 15 minutes and we'd have to leave in 10 minutes and so on and so forth. And we said, okay. And then we went on to enjoy our remaining 10 minutes. Well, about five minutes later, this same lady appears in her golf cart. And instead of having this severe look, she has this big smile on her face and she said, would you like for me to take you on a private tour of the gardens? Hmm. (laughs) And we said... Well, yes. Absolutely. So so she tours us all over. She turns out to be the head horticulturist lady. She can't do enough for us. So she explains what she's going to do here and what she's going to have her volunteers doing there, and we comment about some of the flowers that were in bloom, some of the camellias. This is late December, so, of course, the camellia trees are all in bloom and other things. Uh, mm -hmm. So she gets out of her cart with her little scissors, and she cuts flowers off for us. I thought, hey, you can't cut flowers in the botanical gardens unless you happen to be the head horticulturist, in which I guess <laughs> anything you want to. Mm-hmm. And she gave them to us, and it was as if, because we were in a place of a, a very high place of goodwill, shall we say, and unconditionality mm-hmm. about things, and this lady just couldn't help herself. And so then she drives us back and drops us off at the front door, and she goes on her way, and we we walk in with our flowers explaining, no, no, we really didn't pick these flowers. Oh, my goodness, yeah. You know, pick them for us. But it's a perfect example of how when we enter into the world, into our daily um, discourse and, and we're errand running and so on, when I do so, with an increasing degree of high self-regard. Now, I'm not talking about egocentricity or narcissism. I'm, I'm talking about owning up to the fact that we were created by love as love. And even though for many of us that's an intellectual thing, we can still move slowly toward the experience of that. So when we do, we automatically are going to have a much different exchange with other people, one that's much nicer for them than if I go out into my world mad, angry, um, resentful, um, and and in a generally attacking place. Mm -hmm. And that's why the Course makes that statement, when I'm healed, I'm not healed alone, because what I'm doing is broadcasting in a way that invites 
a, a more loving response from other people, which elevates them, you know, kind of like automatically and whether they like it or not. So it's a wonderful process and one that's not well understood, mm. I think. I think broadcasting is the perfect phrase for that. It, and oh. it's, it works all the time. It just works under the weirdest circumstances at at some point but one of my sons is quite magical about his kind of ability to do this and three of us a former partner and myself and my son were standing in line at the at the airport here in Orlando to go mm-hmm. to St. Louis because my nephew was getting married and we were in the in a long line boarding in the line that's boarding, and we've got our boarding passes, and we're standing there, and the three of us are obviously talking together. And I don't know, we're maybe 12 or 15 people from, you know, handing our little ticket. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, this other lady who's with the airline comes over and says, in a not in a stern voice, I mean in a pleasant voice, but you three come with me. (laughs) We thought, okay. And this was not when there was such onerous security as there is now. And sure. so she says, I'm going to give you all better seats. And she takes our tickets and she gives us all first class tickets. <laughs> she says, wow. Okay. <laughs> so we're doing nothing but, you know, being whoever we are. But as more and more people do their own work, of looking at the places that are wounded and allow them to be healed, to look at those places that we're afraid to look at, recognizing that once we do, we can let things go that we've perhaps been carrying forever, or at least for a very long time, and everything in our lives automatically. In other words, there's the exterior parts of our lives that we can see, that others can see, will just automatically get better. I don't have to be on a fixing campaign Mm. as long as I keep doing my internal work. And if I don't do my internal work of discovering those things that are in the way of my expressing my love, no matter how hard I try or how smart I am, I can't make my external world be healed. I can't make it the way I want and that and it doesn't what resources we have we're misusing them unless our top priority is to continue to ask and it doesn't have to be serious it just has there just has to be a lot of vigilance about it to keep asking how am i getting in my own way right. what am i holding on to that doesn't serve and, and and often of course we don't even know what those things are until we begin to relate with our fellow man. And then we will find ourselves in circumstances where, you know, your feelings get hurt or something like that, and you think, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize I was still hanging on to that old idea, whatever it is. Right. And you're still miscreating. And in the, dif- in the DVD, you refer to it as a self-perpetuating state of mind, um, yeah. paraphrasing. But it's a self-perpetuating yeah. state of mind. And you will constantly miscreate with that state of mind that you're in you're broadcasting the same thing over and over. And you said, you know, you can't go around fixing. Let's look at fixing versus healing because fixing, like you did with the mirror in the DVD, is like applying a Band-Aid and just masking what is really wrong, which is a lack of love, lack of releasing, 
non-acceptance, resistance, and lack of forgiveness. Absolutely. But when we heal, those are the resources that you said, that was great, misusing resources. When we misuse these resources, we're going to continue to miscreate, continue to blame outside of ourselves, maintain the sickness in our minds, and that's when our bodies really get sick. That's when our life really becomes a mess, often to the point where it can't be repaired. Absolutely, and which reminds me, I don't know whether this fits in or not, but I have to tell you anyway because I think this is so fascinating. I would like to dedicate, shall we say, our time together today to one of our class members, Jap Becker. For those of you who either have watched or are watching the DVD series, we have a class of ranging from 12 to 16 people, and Jap Becker, who has been a friend of mine since I first moved here, to Florida many years ago is one of our class members. We have a mix of people I've never seen before, people I've known well, people who are new students, old students. You know, we tried to get a, as a great a mix as we possibly could in just a handful of people. Well, Jap, and, and he figures prominently in this sixth DVD. He's the fellow who comes up and stands on the bench and yes. challenges that ego voice that's being played by those three people. Mm-hmm. Jappy died six days ago of cancer. I had a feeling. And, and he was, he's a surgeon himself, so this rare form of, of uh, red blood cell cancer means that he wasn't creating new blood cells and he's been in hospice care. for. So he, he thought, you know, there's, there's no cure for this, and so there's no point in prolonging this with endless blood transfusions and so on. So in right. any event, he's been very peaceful and very happy. I saw him about three weeks ago, and he said, well, I'm on my own schedule. In other words, he knew the steps in the dying process from his medical background. He knew what would happen next. So, yes. But he was very clear and peaceful about the whole thing, actually seemed to be looking forward to it, according to what he said, and he really seemed like he was. that was the truth. But about the last two weeks, it was very hard for his wife, and so his stepdaughter was over there and they had the hospice nurses in for 24-7. So the day before he died, which would have been a week ago, I guess today, uh, his his stepdaughter was talking to him and they were in the bedroom because he was in bed and he said, and mentioned her name and said, I hate to break the news to you, but did you know that you're dead? And he she said, no, I'm not and neither are you. And because his wife said, he kept moving back and forth between dimensions. You know, some people pass away going back and forth and back and forth rather than just being hit by a truck or something like that. And she said, I know he's mostly in the other dimension, and then he kind of opens his eyes in his back ear. So this was one of those opening his eyes part. And right. so he said to his, this process to his stepdaughter, and when she said, no, I'm not dead and neither are you, and he said, Yes, you are. He said, you're dead, and so am I. And then he said, and of course he speaks in that sweet Mississippi Southern drawl, and is a very Mm -hmm. gentle, lovely man, he said, now I want all of you to come in here in the bedroom and sit down. I can't mimic his voice. And they say, well, we're all here, because his wife and stepdaughter and the hospice nurse were there in the bedroom with me. He said, no, all those other people that are out in the living room. And they said, there aren't any people in the living room, it's just us. And he said, yes, there are. There are all kinds of people there. And then he said, I don't know why I think this is just precious. He said, okay, I want all of you to come in here and sit down. 
and we're going to figure out who's dead and who's alive. <laughs> I just think that's hilarious. As far as he was concerned, he was seeing a broad range of things, you know, uh-huh. as one can, and he just was going to help everybody sort out <laughs> what dimension whoever anybody was in. I just, I don't know why I find that very precious and very touching because he was he was doing a wonderful job of practicing all of the things that he knows to practice right mm-hmm. up to the very end. And it made his passing um, all the way everybody was expecting. And, of course, it was hard at the very moment that it occurred, but it made it a so much different experience than it is for so many people, you know, where there's such angst and such distress. And heaviness, yes. Heaviness. There was nothing heavy about this at all. He and made sure of it. He did. He did. So he, he had he had done his homework, and I was very proud of him. He so. certainly did, and I, you know, I really took a liking to him. In the video, um, I know Edry, um, but I felt, and I'm, I'm was going to say this at the top of the show, um, the contributions by the, the students, I'll say, in this DVD, uh-huh. very impactful, very clear. Oh, very much. Especially Becky and Paula, oh my, and, but, and, and, and I want to touch on those in a bit, um, but Dr. Becker... He, being a retired surgeon, I just started smiling because I so love when the people of the medical community start to get this. Oh, yeah. About, about the body being an illusion and, and, and then being willing to get up and participate in how you demonstrate how the ego works. Um, we both, we liked him very much. So, yes, this segment is absolutely dedicated to Dr. Jeff Becker. And, and the thing that's, that I think is meaningful, that I ask him, that have you noticed in your patients people who where you could see that they haven't changed their minds? And he said, yes. He said, that's one reason why I retired from my medical practice, because mm-hmm. I could see that I could help people, you might say, with their physical healing but they didn't change their minds, and they'd be back in with something else. In other yeah. words, he, he he retired from traditional allopathic medicine, and was and then spent a lot of time doing a more holistic type, uh, reaching out to people. Because once you're in this, you can see we may, we sabotage ourselves. We mm-hmm. do it to ourselves, and the sooner we can not be distressed by that but see there's great promise in the fact that i am the author of what i'm doing to my body chemistry and thus what i'm doing to the various functionalities in my own body Uh because it's it's absolute science at this point that the attitudes the beliefs the thoughts the mindset that we constantly review and reinforce sends specific signals to the brain to create brain chemicals, neurotransmitters. And Mm -hmm. now scientifically proven, it was known for a long time but not proven, but now it's scientifically proven that those brain chemicals flood the body. They're taken up on the receptor sites on on all the cells of the body. And as those chemicals are within the cells, it 
creates our emotional state. In other words, nobody, people say, my job makes me crazy or my, my son stresses me out. None of that is accurate at all. Whatever is happening is whatever happen, is happening, but it's my thought process and attitude and what's important to me and what isn't that determines whether or not interacting with that job or that person is going to result in my lack of health, my lack of financial um, uh, abundance, whatever it may Mm be. But we do everything to ourselves, and there are people who just hate that idea. It's like I would, and and will plainly say, I'd rather much, much rather just be a victim, because that way, and although they don't often realize this in the beginning, because I just don't want to take responsibility. And so I would yeah. just rather be a victim. But that's a terribly disempowered place to be because then you would have no authority anywhere in your life. Well, how awful is that? And all you just do is keep sliding downhill when that's your worldview. Well, for I mean, many, that's becomes... the one thing that frightens us most is having that power. Absolutely. And when you go, oh, my God. I'm doing this to myself? Mm-hmm. Well, one thing, I, I don't like recognizing that, but I'm so much better off because if I have done this, I can do something else. And if I change my mind and start to regard myself and my fellow man in a much different way, in a substantively, emotionally different way, mm-hmm. I'm literally rewiring my brain, and as I do, I'm inviting a whole different range of chemicals to be uh, introduced into the body that has a very different effect on the organs, on, on, on everything. On everything. There's a great, a great book that was written by a neurobiologist at Stanford named Robert Sapolsky, and he wrote a great book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Really? <laughs> he said... He said For instance, if you've got a lion or something, I don't remember the animals, maybe a zebra, a gazelle or something, if you've got a lion chasing a zebra across the savanna, the zebra is in fact going to uh, move into that fight or flight place. And much functionality will cease in the body because it's not necessary to survival. In other words, all the energy needs to go into the legs and to try to escape the lion. And the same functionality stops in us when we're in that fight-or-fight place. But the difference is, if the zebra escapes being lunch and gets to the other place of safety on the other side of the savanna, it has enough sense to say, okay, I mean, obviously it doesn't say it, but it instinctively knows the danger is over. It stops producing all of those what we would call stress-related hormones, and mm-hmm. body chemistry settles down, goes back to normal. We, on the other hand, don't have enough sense to do that. Mm-hmm. So we keep stress response elevated all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is a, that is a specific physical attack on the body, to just give you a little example of that. For instance, this may be more brain stuff than you want to know, but this will be the very short cartoon version. 
No, I the love it. The frontal lobe of the brain that makes up about 40% of the brain is that adult, mature, executive functioning part. It's responsible for delayed, you know, delaying uh, gratification for impulse control, uh, discernment, all of the things that we consider being emotionally mature, mm-hmm. that part of the brain is responsible for. The back part of the brain, the primitive brain, the lizard brain, whatever you want to call it, the fight-or-flight brain, the survival part of the brain, is what one reverts to if there seems to be an emergency to my survival in some way. Yes. And the problem is those two parts of the brain are mutually exclusive. When I've got one turned off on, the other one turns off. So if I'm chronically afraid, if I'm chronically thinking ill of myself or someone else, if I'm chronically resentful, if I'm chronically um, feeling victimized or on and on and on, you can make a very long list, that creates a place of threat and lack of safety in me, which throws me back to the back part of my brain, Mm. which means I'm now turned off literally 40% of my resources, and I'm now back here seeing everything as a threat, as a danger, or whatever else. And when that part of the brain is functioning, many, many parts of the body have been told to go on hold. For Mm. instance, the the digestion has been told, go on hold. We don't need digestion if our, if our life is in danger. Because you see, the brain doesn't know whether a saber-toothed tiger is about to jump in the window or if you're worried about your job. All it knows is there's a sense of threat. And it responds mm. to the sense of threat with all of its resources. So digestion is interrupted. Uh, the long-term regeneration of cells is stopped because we don't need to be wasting energy regenerating cells if I might be attacked shortly. In other words, I've got to have all the resources of the body aimed toward fighting or fleeing. So I've fouled up my digestion. I've now fouled up. I've turned off 40% of my brain. I've told the body we don't need to be regenerating cells, so stop that. In other words, and many of the important regenerative processes of the body have been told to stop because it's normally only supposed to stop temporarily, but we make it stop much more permanently. Does that make sense? Yes, especially the immune system. Exactly. All that factors into the immune system. Mm-hmm. It certainly does. And, and so we are, when we stay in that place of lack of love or lack of acceptance or lack of openness, mm-hmm. we're giving the body signals basically to just destroy itself. <laughs> in other words, we're giving it signals that should only be given sparingly and occasionally, and only we give them those signals daily, you know, minute by minute. And then we mm-hmm. wonder why the bodies seem to fall apart the way they do. They don't have to. If we would stop telling them to fall apart, then they wouldn't have to fall apart. <laughs> and that's the problem. That. But that's the, in, in regards to physical healing, that's the problem, as you state in DVD. The, um, you know, okay, the body becomes sick or injured, and we blame the body for this happening, and refuse to acknowledge the unification of the mind-body component. Absolutely. That's that the why body I had can to only leave. do what the mind tells it to do. 
I, that's why I had to put that example in there <laughs> for those who haven't seen the DVD. When I was a freshman in college, I I just can't even imagine. I, I must have just known nothing, but somehow I knew just this tiny little <laughs> infinitesimal a bit about the fact that mine did so go ahead, go ahead and tell it, but I was shocked. You I, I collected you did this, right? Some girls in the dorm and I we were talking about your mind affects your body. So I said, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna conduct an experiment and tomorrow morning I'm gonna make myself sick. It was very apparent that I was well. So I went to bed, everything was fine. I got up in the morning, everything was fine. I had a biology lab that I had to walk, oh, the equivalent of a number of blocks to to get to from where I was living. And all the way over, I kept, it was a 7.30 to 9.30 in the morning biology lab. So I walked over and I kept saying, I feel sick. I'm sick. I just know I'm sick. And so I kept saying it over and over and over again. (laughs) Such a dumb Mm -hmm. thing to do. But as I said, it was like the sorcerer's apprentice. I could get it to start, but I didn't know how to undo it. I so know. I got to the lab, and I was still feeling fine. Well, by the time it was halfway over and we had a little break in the middle, I really wasn't feeling fine. And so I got up, and I went to the ladies' room. Well, I really had made myself sick. So I had to hop from one bathroom to another, from one building to another, which was... And you- and you drove several the buildings. Buildings, I don't know, until I got back to the place where I was living. And right. it was shocking to the people there because I was really sick. I was had vomiting and diarrhea and all kinds of stuff and had to go to the infirmary for three days. So my experiment was um, was effective, except I paid a reasonably high price for trying to make my point to my yeah. fellow mates there. I, but what amazed but me is you're only 18 doing this. Six. Pardon me? I, I said what amazed me was you were only 18 doing this. I know. I was a freshman in college, so I, I, wasn't, I wasn't very smart about how to do these things, but I thought, well, I need to make my point. So right. I did. And, <laughs> but, and I have to say what was so funny is you, you drew the buildings, and you, yes. you show little, little cartoon Carol walking – and then right. you go to the biology lab, and then you're bouncing from building to building. You get back to where you were living, and then the other girls in the dorm are all wide-eyed, so the uh, illustrator had their eyes in these big, gigantic circles. That's <laughs> and, right. You know, oh, it was funny. I really, it was I really like it. And it was very, it was a very meaningful experience because because it goes both ways. You can you can make yourself sick in a hurry, and you can make yourself well in a hurry. In other words, it, it literally does work both ways, that as you change your mind in a substantive way, one way or the other, the body is faithfully and dutifully going to follow suit. And not only the body, it's going to be all the other aspects of our lives as well. As you very accurately pointed out, healing is not simply just about the physical body. It's about relationships. It's about where we live. It's about our finances. It's about the opportunities that appear to be in our lives. See, mm-hmm. a lot of times there might appear to be people would say, just, I just don't have any opportunity. There's nothing here for me. I have no support and so on. So they feel lonely and, and contained, if you will, in their yep. daily experience. And there's all kinds of stuff there for us, and we can't see it. That's how selective perception works. There could be 
all sorts of opportunities and possibilities um, right there. In fact, I had a little bit of, it was a kind of a minor version of this experience earlier this year because these DVDs have taken, they're very complicated to put together just mm-hmm. because of the animations, the, what has to be done to create them, to get them inserted, timed out so that they're right where they need to be, mm-hmm. and any number of other things. And so my partner and I were on our way to a meeting in late January, and we'd been up to see this wonderful lady that we think is very good as a, as a psychic lady. So we, I'd been to see her three or four times, and I just enjoy her so much. She's very down-to-earth, and she's very, very good. So we've been saying, you've got to hurry up and finish these DVDs. You've got to hurry up and finish these DVDs. And we kept saying, we don't know how. Robert, of course, has a full-time job, so he's working as hard as he can, nights and weekends. I mean, the dedication that he has put into this and all of the 14- and 16-hour days between his day job and his night job is just astounding. But anyway, so it just still takes a certain amount of time. She said, you've got to find a way to to do this, and I kept saying, I just don't know how we're going to do it, because he's already, I mean, I am and he is, we're already working full blast, and so on the way to this meeting, and we and people would say, well, we need to get funding and so on, well, I had never explored that, because there are really only two things that people could help us do, because he has to basically do all the editing. We could hire somebody to do an original rough cut and to line up a bunch of files and so on, this kind of grunt work at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we could pay our animator more to make us a higher priority because he kind of does us around the edges of other things that he does. And mm. so at this point, I asked Robert, I said, what would it cost? Because I'm thinking this huge amount. What would it cost to get these two services done? Well, he told me the amount, and I said, I can't believe my ears. For that amount, I'll fund it personally myself. And here had been a solution, and so that's what we have done for the seventh one, and we'll do the same thing for the eighth one so we can get them out faster because our lady said, there's all sorts of stuff waiting in the wings that can't happen until you get all eight of these finished, which is why you've just got to hurry up and finish So I thought, this is fascinating to me. Here was, shall we say, an option right in front of our noses, and we didn't see it until that question was asked because it never occurred to me that it it could be done for such an amount as as we can get the extra help for. Okay. It's just like right in my own experience, there was an option there staring us in the face that we didn't see until a certain time. Well, it's like asking the question and forgetting to listen for the answer. Yes. When you're meditating exactly. or, or driving and asking questions, but you don't, you don't say, oh, you know, what's wrong with this or how am I going to do this? And then you just keep going. Absolutely. You have to listen for so the there, answer. There is so much for all of us, and what is here for everybody can become known to us as I stop my attack on myself. As I, those ideas that are never examined about I'm a disappointment to people, I probably don't measure up, and nobody wants to really look at these things, but I hear a lot of people because I do a lot of counseling. So naturally, I hear people speaking of this, 
but they have no idea, many of them have no idea that that strongly held belief that I'm not okay, or as we playfully talk about in this DVD, that we're all afflicted with a disease called INGA, I-N-G-E, which stands for I'm not good enough. And so the universal disease. everyone, to some degree, is afflicted by this disease. And when we hold on to that idea but think it doesn't really matter because, after all, I'm thinking it privately and, and I'm not, you know, being verbal about it, mm-hmm. have no idea of the power of a charged idea like that and how it is constantly 24-7 directing my life. And I must stop that attack of myself by deciding that I'm a second-class citizen or I'm guilty or if other people... Unworthy? Yeah, they wouldn't like me, you know, that kind of thing. We have to bite the bullet to see, yes, I really do hold some very unfortunate thoughts about myself. And here's the thing. We don't think they're beliefs. We think it's the truth. Absolutely. And so because we think it's the truth, we operate as if it were the truth. And only when you look at that and say, my word, look what I have believed about myself. Look how I have put myself down. Look how I have compromised myself. I I see what I'm doing to myself. And once I become aware of that, I can stop. It's the lack of awareness that keeps us from making increasingly wiser decisions both about ourselves and for ourselves. Absolutely. And you went into, I love this section, I love the whole DVD, but I want to bring everybody's attention to something. And in the DVD, you know, you were talking about the universal disease and Inga, which I thought was really great, um, how we reduce the violence we perceive in the world by addressing the violence in our own minds and and Mm -hmm. letting go of the idea that the violence just isn't over in another country. It's not just in the next neighborhood. It's inside ourselves. And like we said earlier, we don't heal individually. We heal collectively. It has impact. What I love that you said was how extension and expression, that X, that X prefix means moving out so that when we hold our life force, that we normally, if, okay, if we look at the posture of arms open wide, heart open wide, and embracing life and others wholeheartedly, open-heartedly, that is our natural expression. That is how we extend the love that God extended when he created us. Absolutely. And, and then all of these resentments and grudges and judgments fold us in on ourselves, thereby yes. holding in our life force energy. And then it has a deadening effect. And that is does. Now the posture is down on our knees, face in, in, our, in our knees with, the, with our arms over our lap as victims of the world. I wanted to ask you, wouldn't you, as you look at these, this posture and the deadening effect of stopping that extension and, and holding that in, wouldn't you also describe this as what most people experience as depression? Well, what I would say about you, I would certainly describe it in many ways as sadness and grief and feeling bereft and so on. What I have run into so many times is 
a, a certain way, yes, because depression is when I am using so much of my energy to hold back and hold in. And, it's, and I just refuse to feel how I feel, then that depressed state, because I'm depressing my energy, people have no idea how much physical energy is required as long as, and all the other ways we want to describe energy, to hold uh-huh. back and not experience what I'm actually experiencing inside. And often that's fury, or it could be rage, or it could be all kinds of things, but basically it's I refuse to feel how I feel, and I will use all my resources to hold back and hold in and not deal with it. Absolutely. And that is indeed depression. And so the yeah. antidote to heal on the emotional level, we can, we can deal with this, if you like, Carol, emotional level, yeah. mental level, and physical level. It, to yeah. heal on the emotional level, do the opposite. Open your heart back up and allow yourself to extend the goodness that you know is inside you. Yes, and, and that's it, very easy. It will easy. heal immediately. It, it will, and it's easy for us to say when we have had some success with that. For people who are at the beginning, so to speak, I have great respect for the power of our programming and how it feels like, although this isn't accurate, actually true, it mm-hmm. feels like to give up our defenses, to give up our holding in and holding back is to commit suicide. In other words, because it's programmed in so early and at the pre-verbal levels, that to change some of that most basic defensive behavior feels like, not actually is, but it feels like you're asking for catastrophe. So I realize that especially for people who are getting started, we need to be very gentle and very kind with ourselves and with one another and not say, oh, all you have to do is just let that go. Because that's easy to say once you know it's safe to do that. But in the beginning, it doesn't seem safe. And so I always take a little step. Do one little thing, one little letting go, one little facing some little fear and see that you're successful, see that the earth doesn't swallow you up. In other words, that's how that rewiring of the brain is going to occur. Yes. certainly absolutely is essential to re- to begin to first of all become aware of what i'm doing to myself because without awareness we're like zombies we have no idea how we're contributing to our own problems right just right. no idea but if people can ask the right questions the right question being how am i contributing to the difficulties in my life because i notice Lo and behold, I am the common denominator in all of the various facets and difficulties of my life. Huh, that's something I need to pay attention to. And then just taking one small step, one thing that seems, this is a little scary to do, but maybe I'll reveal to this person what I'm feeling right now. This is speaking more specifically to the depression thing. In other words, if I can be brave enough to maybe allow myself to cry, if I can be brave enough to confide in someone what I fear, 
In other words, those seem like impossibly big steps in the beginning, and they become routine little bitty steps later on when you have experience, but one has to build spiritual muscle for this. I was, I was just thinking muscle, but you have to first identify the muscle before you can strengthen it. So like you yeah, said, start absolutely. small. And I also like the suggestion, and this is something I've always done, when I'm feeling down, I go out and help somebody. If there's no one around that I can randomly assist, I'll just go to Walmart and someone will walk up to me. It works every single time. It's foolproof. I couldn't agree more. And in times when I've done my own, you know, dealing with the things that I've had to deal with, then that's certainly one of my first prayers is, who can I help now? How can I get outside myself? How can I move, not to get outside myself as an escape, but to, because by being helpful, we're engaging that real part of ourselves. In other words, when we can selfless and I want to look after you. You know, you now are going to be my highest priority and yes. and get that attention mercifully off of my own ego mind because it's only the ego mind that can be hurt. We can't be hurt. Yes. You know, after all, and we're light, color, we're sound, we're love, we're invisible, we're frequency. That can't be hurt. Only my ego mind can be hurt. Exactly. And... Um, I always, I used to suffer from depression and suicidal thoughts um, before I found A Course in Miracles. But in my understanding through, through my study, I realized that depression was really an illusion itself. It yeah. was just my, my ego holding me back from recognizing the truth of who I was. Because Absolutely. of my expectations and, not and being And to the get of who you are, you have to go through that process of being willing to experience some fear and some pain and some distress and so on because, as the Course says, what we're about is since who and what we are is radiant beyond description and right here, right now, our task is not to fix, not to improve. It's to look diligently for the things that I believe that keep my radiance unknown to me. So I'm looking for the interference. So I yes. want to look for it, like in a case of, of that you were talking about, I want to look for those places where I put myself down. I want to look for those places where I'm envious of somebody else. In other words, I want to look at those places that's contributing to my sense of withdrawal and hiding and defending inside myself mm. so I can mm-hmm. stop. I mean, the point isn't, and the Course makes this point, to, to go halfway isn't, is only going to make you more afraid. The point is to discover what we're doing to ourselves through the things we believe that aren't true and then go beyond them, then to change them. It's not to just stand there and look at them stuck. <laughs> it's only half game plan. If I discover them, I now have to make changes. Right, and I think, you know, with that fear, we become mesmerized by those things. We do you are. agree? We become mesmerized. But, but this, the Course also says if fear doesn't exist, then it, it, when you turn around to look at it, it shouldn't hurt because you'll find that nothing is there. That's right. And so, so we can do that. And there was something I wrote down that was very profound that's in the DVD, and I actually believe Dr. Becker, Dr. Becker said it. He said, so and what the is that? that it, and I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing because I had to write it quickly. He said, things that terrify or hurt us are merely opportunities to change our minds. And it was perfect for what you were saying. 
Exactly. Exactly. And 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 we can't we we'd like to skip some of those steps. Only you can't. <laughs> you know, it's like in in rewiring the brain, so to speak, there are just this, those steps are that I have to say, okay, I first of all am willing to say and to see that I am responsible for my experience. If I'm going to say, oh, no, not me, everybody else is responsible for my experience, then your healing will have to wait yes. until you're ready to change your mind about that. Yes. And then once you're willing to say, oh, my, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing or how I'm doing it, but I do have a little glimmer that somehow I might bear some responsibility in this. And most people in the beginning don't get that they bear all responsibility, they, but they can get it that they bear a little. But, you know, that's the opening. That's the, okay, I'm willing to Start see this small. different. Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't matter how small. It just matters that you begin. To and I erode wanna... the idea that I am a helpless victim of a world and I'm no good and I don't have much to offer. And people are burdened and imprisoned with those ideas, and then it it makes us ineffective, it makes us furious, it makes us sad, it makes us guilt-ridden, it makes us all kinds of things that then end up self-destructive, and then it ends up okay. in such an unsatisfactory life experience totally needlessly. In the early part of the text, it says, you know, when you feel this and this and this, this need not be, this need right. not be, this need not be. And it's true, and this need not be. I I, uh, I want to point something out, but in my mind, I'm seeing uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in a movie where she played a teacher in, in a disadvantaged community, and she says, there are no victims in this classroom, and it's true of us in this, in the classroom we call the world. That's there right. are no victims here, even though it, I know it looks like that, and I don't mean to insult anybody's senses by saying that. Things happen when you really understand course material. You just understand it on a different level. So That's right. We can, because I, I'm very careful about the intensity of my words when I say that when things are happening, it's an illusion and we're not a victim. And I know how many rape victims there are out there, myself mm-hmm. being one of them. Uh, you know, I will raise my hand and say I'm, I'm an abuse survivor. But I've learned to look at that differently. And you I bet. can tell you I have found peace. You can heal from even the worst of the events that can take place on this planet. There is healing. There is love to behold. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get so serious, but I was, you know how you get prompted when you're talking. And and it's very disturbing to a lot of people, but what about this, but what about this, but what about this? And, 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 And that's fear that causes people not to want to look to see how we're all contributing to what's going on, but even in the most extreme circumstances, as you, as you may or may not know, we're, we are filming master classes with a different group of people to accompany each one of these DVDs. And they're, they're videos, but they're, down, they're downloads only. They're not made into a physical DVD, but they're wonderful. And one, we've filmed the first six of those. Four of those have been released, and hopefully the fifth one soon when we have time okay. to get to it. And one lady was speaking of a good friend of hers, about whom she actually wrote a book because their friend had breast cancer and this was kind of how she got through it and so on. And so the girl that's in the class, in the uh, master class, was recounting this. Well, this woman's 
this woman actually was born in one of the concentration camps during the Second World War, and her parents ultimately did not survive. They were killed in the concentration camps in Poland. But she said this woman's mother was the inveterate optimist. She said she she would go to the guards, the German guards, in their uniforms, determined to look past the uniform and to speak to and in her own mind relate to the good human being who was in there. And she said, and it was amazing that what little there was, they, it, it, it would result in maybe they'd get a little medicine, maybe they'd get a pair of shoes, maybe they would get a little extra food. But there was, even in that environment, see that reaching past the form and reaching out in her own mind and in her own thoughts and in her own actions toward the guards as somebody good rather than an evil person resulted in the time that remained for them as being a happier time. And she said, we're in here. There's no reason, as long as we can move, there's no reason why we can't sing and dance. And they did. Hmm. And what a legacy to pass on to her daughter, who has who is a wonderful therapist and so on in her own right and has been for a long time. But, you know, you, there's no circumstance where things can't get better when you decide, I want to reach out to my fellow human being, even if the fellow human being is the is the so-called perpetrator of the crime. Right. And you can't help but have healing for everybody happen when you do that. And as more and more people collectively say, you know what, I don't want to see anybody as the villain. I want to see, in fact, we're about to start a new project called Proof of Innocence. I think it's going to be a fabulous project. I don't know how long it's going to take us or when we get to it, but I think it's going to be wonderful. But when you decide, as the Course asks us to do, see all fearful or unloving behavior as a call for love. Because I can tell you that the people that we want to hold up as the villains are operating like robots out of their early programming, which obviously is completely erroneous, completely unloving, completely um, off track, and they're operating out of a worldview which has them in prison. So that if we could begin to see everybody as suffering from the same thing and to answer that call for love not only in the so-called victims, but also in the so-called villains. Mm-hmm. And I remember, and we can, I realize we're over our time, but we can end with this. I remember a long time ago I was teaching an elder hostel class someplace here in Central Florida. Mm-hmm. I think they changed their name now to Rhodes Scholar or something, but in any okay. event. But we were talking about the need to see people differently, and one lady said they're just, there's some people are just so bad, and the things they do are just so terrible that you they just are beyond forgiveness. They just should not be forgiven for what they're doing. Now, when somebody has a worldview like that, it does no good to try to confront them on it and say, are you being some kind of a nitwit? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. That doesn't go over well. So I asked her a question, and I said, have you ever been afraid? And she said, yes. I said, have you ever been really afraid, like just 
terrorized by something. Well, actually, I, but before that, I said, well, when you were afraid, how well did you function? Were you at your best? Did you do things accurately and properly and efficiently? And she said no. And I said, well, multiply that many times. And imagine what it would be like if you were absolutely terrified, that if you were so scared, how adequately do you think you would function? And she acknowledged, not well. And I said, well, we've got lots of folks running around who are just terrified. They're in, and I didn't say this, but since we've mentioned it today, they're in that fight or flight back part of their brains. They are seeing things from such a dark place. They're living with what seems like reality. It's not everybody's reality. It happens to be their reality. And you think, you know what? If I had that kind of subjective experience going on, I'd probably do the same thing. And we, we, should, we should all keep that in mind. In other words, that those who perpetrate the crimes, as, as we want to call them, or the things that are unloving, if they were well and healed and loved and knew they were safe and knew they had a great deal to offer, they wouldn't be behaving that way. So they're they calling for our love and our goodwill just as much as the as the villains, and I like to put all those words in quotation marks. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we can end with saying we all are calling for love, and we will receive that to the extent that we decide to offer it. So we say, I don't want my fellow human beings to be imprisoned by the things they believe and the small life they've created for themselves from being in that prison, that internal mental, emotional belief structure prison. And our job now is to regard everybody, regardless of the role they happen to be playing at the moment, as worthy of being thought about. I mean, we're not seeing most people in the world, but in our minds we can decide to regard our fellow man in general kindly, compassionately, knowing perfectly well they're in deep pain themselves and why would we want to add to their pain and their fear? What What is gained by that? Absolutely nothing. And so mm. regarding everybody from that, from out of our own prison helps to bring a lot of other people out of theirs. Mm-mm-mm. Well, I, the time always goes by so quickly with us. Um, there were a, a lot of things I wanted to touch on, but I, I think what we've accomplished in this hour is um, perfect. I want to encourage everyone, you know, this DVD is not just something you watch. It's something you can also participate in. You can go to the you website. Bet. You can go to the website and download class documents and work with those as you move through the DVD. It's in two parts. It will not take up too much of your time, but you will be struck profoundly by Carol's wisdom, the demonstrations that bring to light these concepts based on A Course in Miracles, as well as the contributions of several of the class members. Um, Paula in particular. Yeah, wasn't that amazing? Everybody saw the transformation. I watched the color in her face change. Yes. 
and I knew who you were going to pick because she was the one staring at the floor. It was funny, but she did a beautiful <laughs> job. I was so proud of her. And, yes. And you guided it was brilliant. her through that. And you know what? She came up afterwards and she said, it's too bad we didn't have the camera running after the class was over. She came up and she said, I'm so glad you called on me because that was the first time in my life that I have ever given anybody else my full attention. I always believed that if I gave someone else all my attention, I would, not exactly I would cease to be, but that I would be, uh, I, I would be troubled by that. In other words, I would be diminished by it in some yes, way. Yes, I get what you're and saying. People in the world who believe and fear that they will become less if they give someone else their undivided attention, not realizing, no, 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 I become more. The more I do for someone else, the more me I become. The bigger, the stronger, the wiser, the, the, the more consciously aware I become as I'm there for my fellow human human beings. I only can gain. Absolutely. And clearly, a miracle took place in that room that day. Yes, it did. Absolutely clear. And I want to tell people that if you want to change your life, you have to change your mind. Be inspired to change your mind by watching this DVD. Let it inspire you to make this shift. Learn to turn off the voices of the ego. Release yourself from your self-imposed prison. Learn about the four obstacles that Carol describes in detail in the DVD, the obstacles to peace, and um, you get into terror, beautiful examples there, and also learn how sickness is really just self-induced punishment. It is true, I don't mind telling you, Carol, that I actually made that shift in 1996. I found the course in 2001, but I was so tired of getting sick. I used to get uh-huh. sinus infections, upper respiratory infections. And I sat up one day, and I remember the day. It was so clear. And I said, this serves no purpose whatsoever, being sick like this. I mean, five sinus infections a year. Mm. I, could show up, I could show up to the doctors and say, it's going to hit in two days. And they knew I was serious, but they would say, come back in two days. And they were like, how do you do that? I said, I know my body. Uh, this is yeah. how familiar I am with this. And I said, this makes no sense. That was February of 1996. That was the last time I had a sinus infection. Wow, isn't that marvelous? And what it a was, testimony to we're in charge. So when I found A Course of Miracles, for me, while I learned what, I, what was missing, it would also validated what I understood and experienced. Yes. So that was wonderful. But this is what you can do with this series, everyone. This is only Volume 6. See how healing works. Go to the website. Um, SeeHowLifeWorks.com, correct? That's correct. Absolutely it is. Okay. Get the- it surely is, and I'm sure you've got it on your website there where they can go through that. And we're, we, we've heard, and you're right, you can't get everything out of it by watching it once. And I have heard from people saying, we watch this, some portion of one of these DVDs, because a lot of people get them the instant they become available, you know, when we make an announcement or they go to the website. Right. And they say, we watch some part of this every day. This has just become integrated into our spiritual practice, so to speak. And I thought, well, I just can't imagine watching this every day. They said, yep, we watch some part of this every day. So 
it's not just a it's not like watching a movie where you watch it and say okay now I've seen that <laughs> it's like trying to read the course and say okay once and saying okay now I've got it now I get it no it, it makes sense because you do talk about the spiritual practices meditation a course in miracles and other very valid um, whether it's religion whatever valid guidance tool you use I think I think it's easy to say that your DVD series is up with those things where maybe someone is more visual and reading, we all know reading the text, it's very complicated and they do like a classroom setting or a teacher to guide them through it. But this allows them to do it in the comfort of their own home with an astonishing teacher and the visual helps. But this is, this can become part of the spiritual practice that serves as a guideline so that those ups and downs occur less frequently, less frequently because the goal is peace. Picture a midline. The more euphoria that you experience, then the farther you have to fall down into depression. The goal is a midline. It's peace. And these practices, meditation, and I also added in my notes, listen to inspiring music. Because mm-hmm. I, I notice, sometimes I listen to Z88.3, but sometimes when a song comes on, when they either mention the devil or sin, I turn it off. I don't want to mm-hmm. hear those things. I don't worship the devil. And so I wound up listening to pop music, and the song came on that evoked so much sad emotion in me. I said, now I remember why, why I stopped listening to this stuff, because I would punish myself by listening to sad music, like after a breakup, mm-hmm. and just beat myself up until, it, until I realized it, it just felt good when I stopped. So absolutely, yeah. add, create your environment, stick to your, the environment and the spiritual lifestyle that you set for yourself, but make carol's dvd series a part of that and i wish you all a wonderful wonderful journey carol i can't wait for the next one but i know i know we should probably focus on this for a while but your uh next I DVD. Hope we have the next one out maybe by the end of may oh that, that would, would be, be terrific if we can do it that fast end of may okay. early june it should be available it's about three weeks from the time i send it in to be replicated until the time it's back in my hands. There's a lot Got of process to getting it created. Okay, and that will be on guidance, so we'll look forward to that. And bet. You bet. Thank, thank All you. All right, my dear. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful you're that you're doing such lovely work and making things like this available to people. I'm very grateful for you. Thank you. That feels good to hear. Okay, everyone, that's our show for today. Until next time, God bless and be at peace.